Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 28th. Chinese interference in Canadian politics continues to dominate headlines and was a featured topic on this week's edition of the West Block. We catch up with host Mercedes Stevenson for the latest on the story. Are Calgary and other major Canadian urban centres prepared for the next weather-related disaster? We'll hear details of a new report on just what needs to be done proactively to safeguard our cities from weather disasters from Mary Ellen Tyler from the University of Calgary School of Public policy. And Alberta's night sky has been lit up with northern lights recently, but there's another celestial event to look out for this week. We speak with the backyard astronomer Gary Boyle for details on the rare planet alignment and how to best see it. Chinese interference in Canadian politics continues to dominate headlines. And of course, it's Budget Day 2023. Joining us to discuss the latest news out of the capital is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. Happy budget day to you, Mercedes. <laughs> Happy budget day to you, too. Yes. One of the biggest days of the year here in Ottawa. Yeah, absolutely. I, I bet you. Is, is it uh, teeming with excitement? Can you contain yourself? Um, okay, I was, I was uh, tongue-in-cheek saying to Sue uh, and to our uh, partners here at Global News that never have we had the day after the budget, and I've said, boy, that really had something for everybody. That was a perfect fit. Um, I don't think anybody... You're not going to be unilaterally happy with it. Uh, What are you hearing uh, will be some of the key points presented today? So what I'm hearing is that there's sort of um, a few focuses in this budget. There will be some affordability measures. And I can tell you, for example, that the grocery rebate is one of those. And that's uh, a rebate of between sort of two and $400, depending if you're single, a senior, or a family. Um, that's basically a GST rebate. This is one of the things a lot of economists have said the government could do to make sure that those who have the least money have a little bit more in their pockets. Um, don't expect that that's going to go to the middle class or up. It's very much going to be targeted at low-income individuals to supplement them. Um, and part of the reason why this is a government that very much likes to put things in for the middle class, but why they're not um, going to put perhaps as much in in terms of things like GST relief for the middle class, despite the fact that they acknowledge everyone's feeling the pinch, is that they're worried that putting too much money into the economy could make inflation worse, it could devalue our currency, um, and then you get a really bad situation. So they're sort of trying to balance and that's tough for them because their their natural um, ideology on this is to spend, but they have recognized now that, that spending is not the solution for all of this. Um, that said, you are going to see other ways that they try to contribute to the economy or to individuals without um, massively raising government programs. So things like this uh, manufacturing clean tech equipment uh, credit, which, which might be very relevant for people out there in oil and gas. Basically, if you're making equipment um, that is green, or or purchasing it, you're going to get 30% of your tax credit on that, which is a substantial amount. There's going to be, um, in, in particular, money for those who are buying um, equipment that will mine or process critical minerals. Electric vehicles will be another one. They're going to be trying to compete with the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which has huge incentives on that. Uh, it's one of the things that Joe Biden and um, Prime Minister Trudeau were talking about as well. And then you're also going to see this concept of friend-shoring, as they call it, being really big, which is the idea of having other democracies manufacturing things together. And this is really driven by what happened with COVID and then the war with Russia attacking Ukraine um, and what's been happening with China and the realization that 
governments um, don't want to be in a situation where the people you're relying on to deliver critical uh, equipment or imports to make things here are governments that might not be friendly and cut you off at any given time. Mm -hmm. So look for lots of discussion about that, about, uh, for example, working together with the U.S. and the European Union to manufacture more and to to try to put money into that um, so that there is what they would consider to be a secure supply chain. A lot here in Canada, but also a lot just in places they feel that they can trust to deliver if the going gets tough. Mercedes, anything sort of for the average person? It sounds like there's some sort of a grocery rebate may come in the in the form of a greater GST kickback. Is that sort of what you're hearing too? Yeah, so that, that grocery rebate is going to be a GST rebate, but it is only for those who are low-income Canadians. So that will not be extended uh, to middle or upper middle class Canadians. It's very much targeted for those who are making a very low income. And that comes back to their trying to balance between not putting too much money back into the economy to make it worse, they think, but also recognizing that there needs to be some relief. Now, I was told there will be a few little things in there uh, for folks who are doing okay to fairly well uh, financially right now, despite the pinch. And that will be things like the removal of so-called junk fees. And you may have seen this reported uh, yesterday. That's things like when you you order um, off certain social media platforms or certain big online giants, they will sort of tack these weird service fees on. A lot of big ticket providers do it around concerts too. The government is basically going to make that illegal. Um, So don't count on getting a big check in your pocket if you're doing okay right now financially, but there will be a few little things in there. And of course, there's always surprises Mm -hmm. that we don't know about (laughs) that uh, I will not have been able to succeed in getting yesterday as I was frantically calling everyone I could to try to get information. But those are the ones that we know are going to be in the budget. Uh, Yep, uh, today is the day, so we're looking ahead and teeing up today. Uh, Let's look back uh, to the West Block, uh, the big focus on Sunday, uh, latest regarding Chinese interference and influence in Canadian politics. Uh, Can you tell us what you learned on Sunday and where we're going from here? Well, uh, we talked to the U.S. ambassador to Canada, David Cohen, who's always a really interesting fellow, and um, he's actually very close friends with Joe Biden. So if you want to know what the administration's thinking, uh, he's very diplomatic in what he says, but he's very much somebody who has the ear of the president and who talks to him personally. Um, And I asked him what went on behind the scenes on China, because you saw Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, of course, out there. That uh, sent a message, he said, that was a very deliberate message to highlight them and have them present. But you didn't hear the same discussion of China, um, for example, critically, as you have at some of the previous meetings. You heard a lot of criticism of Russia. China was mentioned, uh, but it was mentioned with the two Michaels, and it was mentioned um, when journalists asked about it. Uh, but the ambassador told me that behind the scenes, there's very much a feeling between the U.S. and Canada that they want to be able to take China on when they need to be able to do that. Uh, that they're still very concerned about arbitrary detention and hostage-taking, which is, of course, what happened uh, to the two Michaels, and about China's sort of behavior on the international scene. So it's, it's still very much something that, that they are looking at. Um, and then we spoke to a panel of Chinese-Canadians, Chuck Kwan, who's a democracy activist uh, for democracy in China. You can imagine that's uh, a position where he knows a lot about the attempted intimidation of Chinese Canadians who stand up to Beijing. And we also had Joanna Chu on. She's a Toronto Star reporter who's written a whole book uh, called China Unbound, which is great if you have a chance to read it. It's all about you know how China has been changing their foreign policy and becoming more aggressive. Uh, we talked with them about you know how interference can be much more subtle. We're talking in, in cases here about it being political and overt against MPs, 
but it can be very charming. It can be taking big CEOs to dinners and whining and dining them and, uh, as, as Joanna put it, making them feel very respected. They take them on these sort of red carpet trips of China and then say, you're a friend of China and it would be really helpful if you didn't say anything negative mm-hmm. about the human rights situation. So they say it's important to remember that when we're talking about um, sort of the much more overt and aggressive intimidation, um, Chuck Kwan says that's 10% of what goes on. It's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, it's very insidious. It's everywhere. It's in academia. It's in government. It's in politics. Uh, it's in business. It's on Bay Street. It's in the oil sector. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting conversation on yeah. just how sophisticated it is. And sort of on that note, um, you know, big discussion revolves around MP Han Dong reportedly suing Global News over false reporting about Chinese interference. Now, I know you can't comment on the lawsuit itself, but we are curious, what are some of the protocols for journalists in, in terms of fact-checking and then reporting a story like this, quoting an unnamed source? What, what, do, you, what do you have to do to make sure that that gets presented properly? Sure, and I, I can tell you, um, in terms of the lawsuit, just that you're aware, we've not been served. Um, so this is Handong on Twitter saying okay. that he plans to sue Global News and that he has retained a lawyer to do so because he says uh, the recording was false. But uh, we have not actually received notice of a lawsuit at this point. Um, in terms of the journalistic stuff, that's a great question because I think a lot of folks think we get a brown envelope and we just go to air with it. These stories are usually months in the making. Um, they often have more than one source. If you read the stories about Handong, you'll notice that source is plural. Well, these sources are anonymous because they could be prosecuted under the Security of Information Act for leaking to Global uh, or the Globe and Mail, same situation there. It's not that we don't know who these sources are. We know exactly who they are. We've identified them, we've verified they are who they are, whether or not they would be in a position to know this kind of information. We also often have verifying information that we don't always publish. Um, so there, there is certainly protocols here, and, and we have an entire, very clearly laid out journalistic set of practices that we have to adhere to. And it's not optional. If you do not adhere to those practices, it's a very serious violation of global. Um, There are layers of individuals um, from senior editors to lawyers that look at this. So these are not decisions that are made lightly before these kinds of stories are are published. And I know you've probably seen um, the commentary from our editor-in-chief, Sonia Verma, saying that global stands by our, our journalism and we have very rigorous standards to produce it. All right. Uh, thanks for your time. Mm-hmm. Lots on the go. We appreciate it. And I know it's your special day, budget day. <laughs> so uh, enjoy it as you as you should. Thanks so much, guys. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We know as Calgarians that we get our fair share of extreme weather from floods to hail to heat domes. Are Canadian municipalities prepared for the next weather-related disaster? Joining us to discuss is Mary Ellen Taylor, Professor of Planning at the U of C and author of the report for the School of Public Policy. Good morning to you. Hello, how are you? Good. Thank you for joining us this morning. So in your opinion and from what you've seen in your studies, how prepared is Calgary for a weather-related disaster? And how do we compare perhaps to other cities in their preparation? Well, I think one of the one of the problems is that we are geared toward the disaster movie in that sense of these are giant one-off events. Uh, We don't have to worry about it the rest of the time. Um, Certainly there are going to be extreme events, and I think that from that point of view of the the next 700-year flood or potentially a tornado, um, there are the municipalities under provincial legislation do have emergency management uh, plans in place, and there is emergency management legislation. Uh, my report is more about 
less about one-off events and more about the entire climate shift pattern and its impact on land use planning, infrastructure, and asset management at the municipal level, which is a huge financial problem. Let's talk about the significance of some recent extreme weather-related disasters here in Alberta and, and frankly, changing climate conditions right across Western Canada. What's the significance of that when we look at it overall? It's very uh, significant from an insurance point of view. The costs of, of, of these events are really significant in, in the sense that for the most costliest disasters of the last 10 years have been in Alberta, and the cost in insurance has has been in the billions of dollars that eventually we all wind up paying for. And this is one of the primary concerns from a municipal government point of view is that, um, as we're very familiar with in Alberta, taxes are an issue, and it is essentially, um, it's the tax base that provides municipalities and the province with its money, and um, the opportunity costs of spending billions on uh, on on uh, climate risks and climate change or extreme weather means you can't spend billions on other things mm. so it's uh, and and the tax base is already um for a lot of people under stress so the financial management uh and planning for um climate shift including multi-year drought which has huge impacts on the economy really has to be addressed before it happens rather than you know just focusing on one event Speaking with Mary Ellen Tyler, professor of planning at the U of C and author of the report for the School of Public Policy. So I, I guess what you're saying, and to underscore, Professor, to be proactive instead of reactive will save us money down the line. So what are some of the opportunities identified within Alberta's municipal government model that can increase municipal effectiveness in addressing exactly. these risks? Exactly. Well, there's a real need for risk assessment, vulnerability, um, analysis, uh, adaptation planning and asset management and these are not or at least they haven't been till up until now sort of normal parts of land use planning at the municipal level uh, or infrastructure management which is where the big costs are so I in the report looked at eight existing opportunities um, that municipalities have to begin to um, introduce this into standard practice around municipal development planning, infrastructure and capital planning in order to be able to anticipate and, and perform some risk analysis, which is probably going to be necessary uh, in the not too distant future, mandatory uh, for insurance companies to insure municipal infrastructure in the public domain and even in, possibly in the private. Professor, anything from the report that kind of struck you that you really, you know, thought was interesting or, or should point out or, or that really maybe changes the way we do things down the road? Uh, two things. One is the, um, uh, the, the current knowledge um, decision support requirements, the knowledge required at the municipal level, which may not always be there to deal with some of these new issues. Uh, like the vulnerability analysis, the risk assessment, the the changing of infrastructure standards to deal with new conditions, the asset management. There's a lot of, of no, specialized knowledge that needs to be there. We've got 344 municipalities ranging from two major cities that are completely capable of doing this independently to many rural rural and uh, and, and 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 I would even say remote, very large. Uh, municipalities that that really don't have the population 
um, that give them a tax base or really don't have the, 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 peop- the expertise to be able to assist them with this. So one of the recommendations is how to coordinate the expertise opportunities to be able to provide this to all municipalities, um, small and large, rural and urban, um, in a under 10,000 people in a way that is cost-effective and accessible. A very interesting topic. Thanks mm-hmm. for digging into it for us, uh, Mary Ellen. We appreciate it. Great. Well, thank you. And again, it's, uh, I mean, the one-off event, the big disaster is, is, is great, you know, gets people's attention. But um, unfortunately, it's going to hit us in the pocketbook in terms of a much more insidious slide of changing conditions that our infrastructure and is going to have to adapt to. Mm-hmm. Some great points. Thanks so much. Thank you. That is Mary Ellen Tyler, professor of planning at the UFC and author of the report for the School of Public Policy. Hey, if you're a stargazer, you're going to want to keep an eye on the night sky tonight. Joining us to talk about a rare celestial event coming our way is a man we call the backyard astronomer, Gary Boyle. Hi, Gary. How are you? Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andrew. Doing very well. Thank you. Excellent. Pleasure to have you on once again. What are we keeping an eye out for tonight? What might we see? Well, the planets are always in the sky at night. If people know where to look, and especially with cell phones now, with apps, it's very easy to find the the brighter and even dimmer planets. And tonight is a lineup of what we we call five planets close together. Um, So probably people have been noticing, especially back on March 1st when we had the the spooky eyes, as I call them, with Venus and Jupiter, the two brightest planets. Well, now they're, they're farther apart as the planets circle the sun on their individual orbits. So tonight, very close to the horizon, right after sunset, as soon as it gets dark, you're going to see bright Jupiter. Just above that is Mercury, which you might need binoculars for. Higher on up is brilliant Venus, unmistakable. And to the left of Venus, around 11 o'clock, is Uranus. That you will need binoculars. And further on up, we have Mars and then the first quarter moon. And as an extra treat, Just after 9 p.m. local time in Calgary, the International Space Station will fly by Venus and by the first quarter moon. So it's an all-out treat, and I hear skies are going to be pretty good for tonight. Cool. You know, you've used the term treat a couple of times, and Mm -hmm. I do tell my kids that treats are for special occasions. So this is special. How rare is it, and how often does something like this happen, Gary? Well, the planets are always lined up. It's just that a grouping is are very close together. Imagine tennis balls on, on a tennis court with Earth being one. And from perspective, you're going to see that the, the balls are still lined up but far apart. And sometimes they get close together. And that's when people in the media tend to announce these things, that people should be looked up the sky anytime pretty well because it's a wonderful, wonderful pastime. It's just the grouping together, but only... Optically, they're not physically coming together. It's just by line of sight because they all have different orbits around the sun, such as Mercury orbits once every 88 days and up to Saturn once almost every 30 years. Oh. We don't need anything. Did you say, you know, it's just visible to the naked eye, don't need anything special. We can take some photos with our cell phones perhaps, but although they never look as good, do they? No, definitely not. If you have the DSLR camera, for sure. But like I said, with the planet Uranus, you will need binoculars to find it. But again, use your uh, cell phone apps to uh, to locate that planet that was only discovered in 1781 by William Herschel. So it's not a true naked eye planet like the Greeks 
had uh, had call planets being the wanderers way back over 2,000 years ago. My friends who are stargazers, they like to get out of town. Uh, how does that increase our chances if we're getting away from the city lights? Would that be something you'd recommend? Well, if you want to take a photograph with the, with the, with the nighttime sky, because we do have Orion the Hunter, but the first quarter moon will be kind of blotching out a, a lot of the faint things in the sky. It's always great to get out of town, but to look at planets, you really don't need to because they are bright enough. And people think you must must head out of town for astronomy. There are many things that you can look at in the city, such as the planets, the moon, the sun with a very, very safe solar filter, uh, double stars, star clusters, and linear constellations. So even if you're stuck in the city, there's a lot to look at. Okay, Gary, so aside from these five beautiful planets aligning, I have been seeing over the past week or so, so many social media posts with people seeing beautiful northern light displays. Are we seeing more of them sort of in this region than we used to? Uh, Well, where you are in Calgary, um, which is prime area, in fact, if you go even further north towards uh, Edmonton and whatnot, you'll see even more auroras. Uh, We don't see them too much down here in eastern Ontario because the the really the magnetic pole is moving towards Siberia. So unlike the 80s when we used to get them a lot in Montreal and, and Ottawa, I was really happy to see them on the 23rd uh, here where I live and uh, and image them too. So yeah, the sun is getting active in its 11-year solar cycle. We're coming up the solar max pretty soon. But there was a large hole that opened up in the sun in the atmosphere, not in the sun, well, the atmosphere of the sun, was about 30 Earths across because you can fit 109 Earths across the sun. And that was a huge amount of what we call a corona mass ejection, where you have clouds of billions and billions of tons of charged particles racing through space and hitting the Earth. And there's another hole that has opened up now about 10 Earth distances. So maybe by Saturday, we should see another good display. Just before we let you go, Gary, you've referenced you know some apps that people can use. I wonder if you can name a, a couple of your favorites that might be accessible for our listeners so they'll have the opportunity to, to, to do some uh, stargazing. For sure. Well, on, on the iPhone that I have, I call it, uh, it's called Sky Guide, and it's only a few dollars, and the icon is really the W of Cassiopeia, and it's a great app to have on your phone. And for those that are just on computer, uh, go to stellarium.org. S-T-E-L-L-A-R-U-M dot org. And that's planetarium software, again, which all these can go in the past and the future, see what's coming up, and learn a bit about the nighttime sky. It really doesn't take a lot to, to learn what's really up there. Thank you so much, Gary. Appreciate your time, as always. Live long and prosper. Right back at you, Gary Boyle, astronomy educator, also known as the Backyard Astronomer. You can go and uh, look online at wondersofastronomy.com and you can find him at Astro Educator.